Well, welcome back to the Batuta Advocate radio show. Uh, for the first time in the podcast history, this is recorded from the road here in Townsville. Uh, I've just wrapped up our first of uh, many live shows to come on the Batuta Advocate Road Show. We uh, just finished up with this crowd up here. It was a, it was a lovely, uh, lovely night. The, they showed us a lot of northern hospitality, didn't they, Errol? Yeah, it was fantastic to be uh, to spend the night in Townsville last night. It's beautiful town, lots of uh, beautiful things to look at. Um, yeah, no, it was a good show. And we've got plenty more to come on the Batuta Advocate Road Show. We've got Toowoomba. Uh, on the 6th of November, Melbourne Cup Day. That should be interesting. Uh, Brisbane on the 8th of November at the QPAC. And then down to Wollongong on the 11th of November. Newcastle on the 13th, bouncing around a bit, but then right over to Perth on the 16th of November. Melbourne on the 17th, down there at Hamer Hall. Quite a big venue, I've been told. Yeah, it's pretty big down there, I reckon. And then Adelaide, 22nd of November. Of course, uh, heading back up north to Canberra on the 30th, and then the 1st of December, finishing the run at the Sydney Opera House Concert Hall. Yeah, Still a lot to do, but uh, it yeah, seems to be going Yeah, there's nine well. more shows left, yeah, nine no. more to go. Seems to be going well. Townsville were very receptive. We'll see if the Southerners um, appreciate it as much. I'm sure they will. There's something in it for everyone. Yeah, no, the crowd will be interesting on Melbourne Cup Day in Toowoomba, I suppose, because the uh, show kicks off there at 8 o'clock, so I'm expecting people to be really... Festive, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, festive is what we want. We don't want the, uh, we don't want the yawns um, after a big day on the punt. I'm sure, um, I'm sure they know how to handle their grog up there in Toowoomba. Now, last week's podcast uh, was one of the biggest ones we've ever done. Actually, um, some amazing numbers coming through there. Um, you know, hundreds of thousands of listens um, with Kevin Rudd. Um, you know, obviously, it's not every day that a regional radio station like ours gets access to a former prime minister for an hour, at least. What did you think of it? Yeah, no, he's uh, he's certainly changed his tune since the last time I met him in 2006. Mm. Uh, he's uh, certainly not bitter at all, though. I'm glad it's uh, his rapid demise from politics uh, didn't have any lasting effects on him. And I'm glad he's been able to move on to various other jobs in New York. Yeah, it's great. It's great. It's good. It's good to have um, you know options after a life in politics, and that way you don't have to spend the rest of your life talking about politics and the people that hurt you and the people that you uh, have you know undying grudges against. Yeah, there was one part though in the podcast that we didn't get to last week that I wanted to talk to him about was uh, the the actual Kevin O seven campaign it's itself. Um, but interestingly enough, uh, the second. Uh, podcast edition of our radio show that we did uh, was actually with uh, the man, the uh, the architect of the Kevin 07 campaign. It was uh, Kevin Rudd's media advisor, Lachlan Harris. He's now uh, he's an entre- he's an entrepreneurial businessman now. He's uh, mm. but yeah, you know that was uh, our second podcast, and I think there's a lot of people who have subscribed to our show since mm. um, who I think would get a lot of value out of listening to that interview that we did with Lachlan. Yes, yes. No, it's good to see. We, we've met Kevin. We've heard Kevin's story. Um, but obviously when you're talking to someone of, um, you know, that bigger profile, 
uh, you don't often hear about the people behind the scenes, behind them. Um, and that's what uh, this interview with Lockie Harris is, is good for. It, it explains kind of, you know, the people that were on the ground, um, you know, during the campaign, during the uh, during his stint as Prime Minister, his first one anyway. So uh, I reckon we'll, uh, we'll delve into that. We'll, we'll bring this one back up um, for the listeners who might have missed it the first time. This is uh, Lockie Harris, uh, former media advisor for Kevin Rudd, uh, back when there was a bit of, I guess, prestige around the title media advisor. And there was a bit of prestige around the term of uh, prime minister as well, I guess. Yes, yes. No, the back, back before they were just throwaway titles. Yeah, you're right. Back before they were either ex-hacks or ex-public servants that only last a little while. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who missed it last time, this is Lockie Harris. Today we are talking about the snouts in the trough, the Jared Kushners of the world, the Ashbys of the world, and a few other names that we'll get to a bit later. As many of you are aware in politics and in media, There are people who may not be particularly well-known or recognised who are calling shots and pulling strings. Big screen depictions like Wag the Dog, In the Mix and West Wing pay homage to these influential figures who are the ears and the minds of important political figures. And our guest, who we will introduce shortly, Lockie Harris, is one of those people and uh, is an authority on on this whole world. But Errol, political staffers. Yeah, staffers. Well, more specifically, I think the uh, what's the role of a politician's media advisor? Why does everyone need a media advisor from you know from your Malcolm Turnbulls to your Mark Coulton's? We've we've heard about advisors and of all varieties for many years now. Yeah. As I mentioned earlier, James Ashby, who um, found himself in a bit of trouble a couple times. You know, rose from the ashes and came back to cause more shit. Um, Peter Credlin, arguably the leader of the Liberal Party under the Abbott government, and now more recently the young Vicky Campion, who you and I both know, Errol, and is a lovely lady. We won't be um, running her down too much in this podcast, but she has found herself in a spot of trouble. She got too close. Yeah, which kind of makes me think, you know, how how close does does a media advisor get to... The, the person they're supposed to serve, um, are they at arm's sort of reach or are they at dick's reach? Before I became Clancy Overall Editor of the Batuta Advocate, I worked in this field and you did too, Errol. Um, yeah. What was your take on it? It was obviously a while ago. Well, I worked on the um, the, the Gordon Brown campaign, the uh, the, the last election. Um, in England, this is? in Yeah, in, in England. And Gordon, he... Um, he tried his best to form a government with uh, the Liberal Democrats, but it ended up um, going to shit. And uh, he went to um, Her Majesty and said, "Look, I can't, I can't form a government here, so um, I'm going to have to resign as the Prime Minister." And the Queen said, um, "Righto, well, we'll ask David Cameron." And then that must hurt you as well as someone who worked uh, later. No, it's 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 you know it's just a thing that happened. And then afterwards, I was offered a very plum job at the News of the World, but that only lasted. About a year until I was um, caught fiddling with phones. Yeah, at the uh, 
few embarrassing moments in front of the Leveson inquiry there. With yeah, and, and, and it's hard to say. It'd be hard for any journalist in this country to say that they don't have a history like that. Whether they started yeah. as a journalist or uh, ended up a journalist, everyone's, um, you know, and that's what we'll get to later with our guests. But, you know, I, I, I myself, I, and I, you know, I, I announce it, might yeah. be a conflict of interest, but yeah, I worked, well, I worked under Brian Littleproud, under Sir Joe. Yeah. You know, he's um, obviously the father of uh, David Littleproud now, the current member for the Maranoa, our local member. Yeah, and uh, he's a big no voter too. So big no voter, yeah. Maranoa, right? Yeah. That's, that, that's the thing. And, you know, between 1983 and 1987, mate, the shit we got away with, you, you wouldn't yeah. believe it. That was back when you could actually have people killed, you know, under the, um, well, under the corrugated iron curtain of Sir Joe. That, mate, you don't know what went down. I mean, obviously you don't, because I've told you over a I few know, years. I know two good men which are buried under Cloudland at the moment. They were... Um, you know, well, just as a journalist under un, Joe, you know, you, you sort of had to, to know your place. I know. And when you start talking to cops who don't know their place, yeah, you know, the Dean brothers come in with the swinging wrecking ball and all of a sudden you're part of a new uh, set of apartments. But, you know, like in that, in that era, you could have a pregnant mistress yeah. and she would be sent down south. You wouldn't have to... You know, you, you wouldn't have to confront... You wouldn't have to worry about front pages. You wouldn't have to worry about anything like that because... It was pre-social media, right? There was yeah. there was a lot less access. Um, there was a lot less shit talk, and um, political staffers were completely in control of what was said. Well, we will introduce our guest now. He's had to sit yeah. through a lot. Today's guest is one of those figures that we're talking about. Uh, master of the dark arts, you could say. He is the man behind the most, well, one of the men behind the most recognisable political campaigns in recent history. The campaign that swept the second longest serving Prime Minister out of power and swept in one of the shortest serving Prime Ministers. That man is Lachlan Harris, one of the men behind Kevin 07. Harris, as well as being in the inner circle of the ministerial wing for a time, is also responsible for founding the now iconic swimwear label, Budgie Smuggler, the energy startup One Big Switch, and the controversial lobbying platform known as GetUp. He has worked in business, media, politics, and he's here to have a chat with us about the lay of the land and the dark arts. Thanks for joining us, Lockie. It's great to be here. I had no idea I was amongst such notorious but uh, experienced colleagues. Yeah, well, there was a statute of limitations over a lot of the things yeah, we did, um, particularly in England. Firstly, Lockie, taking into account after that introduction, and a lot of our listeners now dislike you a lot, <laughs> um, as, as they might assume you were a snout in the trough, but please, we need to know a bit more about you, how you ended up in that position, yeah. and we know you got out. You know, Labor trains the best and keeps the rest, um, as do most political parties, um, and, and, and you might still have ties to um, the party with or without factions. We need to know what happened in your life that made you decide to spend your mid-twenties standing next to Kevin Rudd. <laughs> yeah. It's obviously dropped as a child, I think, now I look back on it. But uh, look, I, I should start to say that political staffers are like rugby league players. The vast majority of them are quite nice people who stay in the background, do their job, and you never hear about them. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, there's the occasional absolute fuck-up who turns up, and they're yeah. the ones who end up in the media and everyone reads about because they, you know, do something outrageous, basically. But look, the vast majority of them are genuinely really hard-working, nice people, not that political, just yeah. doing a job. Right, right, right. Well, tell us a little bit how you became uh, associated with the Labor Party. Yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, I was not a very political kid when I was growing up. I just went to uni like everyone, and I 
was actually working for the Koori Mail, which is another great and august journal, the mm-hmm. Aboriginal newspaper here in Australia. Uh, and I was doing a lot of time up in the Territory and, and that sort of stuff. And I think it was in about 2002 or two, early 2003. And I think I just saw a job in the paper, to tell you the truth. I, I mean, like, it was there was the shadow... Uh, the assistant advisor to the Shadow Indigenous Affairs Minister, and this was when Labor was at, at its absolute lowest nadir, 2003. Under Crane. Under Crane. Yeah. And I honestly think, <laughs> I seriously think, no one else put an application in. I, mean, I, I was def- I'd been to law school, I'd worked a bit as a journo, but I was like 23 as green as, and I just think it was one of those things where yeah. Labor was so low in the in the polls and so in just so it would seem so impossible they'd ever win that yeah. no one else wanted the job yeah right so moving on um you went from that job um so, so you finally had your foot in the door at the uh, at the at the alp yeah how was the journey going from there to uh, yeah. To being in the box seat because <laughs> you're not a Queenslander well, as well. No, I know, we should I know, we should mention no. that you and and you're not an academic like Kevin either. So <laughs> the understatement of the year. Yeah. Yes. Uh, look, it's well, I, first of all, it's great fun. If you like politics, Canberra is like go down and work in Parliament House. It's really good fun. It's like it's kind of like you know if you're a skier working at Threadbow. Like yeah. if you're a fanatic, you love it. And so for five years. I just put my head down and, and stuck around. Like, it's one of those jobs, the vast majority of people churn out after two years because it's, like, without any word of exaggeration, it is seven days a week, 365 days a year. Yep. So for most of that time, I would have a call, a, a conference call at 6.15 every morning mm-hmm. and, and at 6.30 every night, and that was 365 days a year. And da- days that you think you're going to Christmas Day... Easter Sunday, New Year's Day, they're really busy days in federal politics. So if you can stick it out, there's lots yeah. of opportunities, but most people burn out after a couple of years and just go like, I'm going to go and have a life, thanks, I'm out of here. In your opinion, like, did you spend that much time on the road face-to-face, hand-in-hand with Kevin Rudd? <laughs> I spent a lot of time with him, but I'm still single, if that's what you're asking. Yeah. Uh, did, you didn't, he didn't make you pregnant. No, yeah. that would have been very difficult. Um, no, look, I don't want to. I don't want to stick the boot into Barney. Yeah. Everyone else had a go, but yeah, it's not. It's not. It's not easy. Like, and it's very destructive. Politics is just like a flamethrower to family life. There's no doubt about that. Whether you're married, yeah. single, in a relate, got a girlfriend, a boyfriend, yada yada, and that's because like it's a bloody big country. Federal politicians have to travel around, and I. Do I really respect anyone who has the balls to go in and do it or the, the gumption to go in and do politics and if they can hold their family together? Quite frankly, that's the exceptional event. The blow-ups, yeah. the break-ups, the affairs, to me, we've almost designed this industry to destroy family life in many ways. You know, we create, create a city in Cambridge, which is the capital. They spend 26 weeks, there, 26 weeks a year there. Everyone there is away from their families. You work late. You kind of drink a lot. It's an absolute catastrophe. And then between that 26 weeks, the senior guy, guys and girls travel the whole time as well. So yeah. I, don't, I don't sort of sit around when I see politicians like self-exploding basically their life. It's kind of like that's what the system's set up to do in yeah. some ways or it's an almost inevitability. The exceptional event is the person who goes in, works 20 years and has a great life and a great, great marriage and survives that yeah. is very unusual like like bob catter you know yeah. um, what we'd say is probably one of the few sensible men down there and, and might and, be the hat might well, be the he's, hat. he's he's probably he is probably one of the last 
truly honest people down there because he's only got one party to answer for and he's and he's in charge of it. So yeah, look, I think he hasn't got any of the red tape that ties him it's up. It's very easy got. to be authentic. It's very easy to be authentic when you don't have any power. It's bloody hard the other way around, let me tell you. Well, under... Ooh, under... Can we come to Kennedy sometimes? So that, I think, uh, but, you know, we, we, will, we will wrap there on um, those defamatory comments about Bob Catter. All right, so let's take it back to the beginning. How did a boy from pre-gentrification Balmain find himself turning his back on, on big business, on, on progress, on, on economic capitalization of the working class? How did you end up with an ALP logo over your heart on the uh, team shirt? That's an interesting question. I've never, like... Do you know, I actually think for me, I'm the youngest of five boys, right? Yeah. Like, and we're very close in age. My brother is, my oldest brother is five and a half years older than me. And so we grew up in a tribal fight, basically. Like, and it was great. It was amazing. I had an incredible upbringing. It was a race to the top for attention. Yeah. Was it a race to the it top? Was, it was, there was a lot of, there was a lot of fighting for attention. There's a lot of fighting and scrapping for everything. But yeah. actually my brothers, we were very close. And I think it just gave me this heightened sense of what bullying is and how much I just cannot stand it. And it's more because my brothers didn't bully me that much. I think we were in such an environment where there was a perfect hierarchy where it could have happened. But I just had this, I don't know, this sense of kind of bullies. Like, and I just felt like at that time, and I don't, I'm not suggesting the Labor Party's always on the right side of this argument, the other side's always on the wrong side, but at that time in history, with the Indigenous stuff, with the government being in power for seven or eight years and just sticking it to these people i was just like that is bullying like and i was just like basically fuck that like so i'm gonna go in there and do something about that it wasn't that complex it was just that do you think some of that came from your from your uh um your mother's side the 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 rossi the italian like you know that was there any element of that it's a big like like i went went to a jesuit school like a big big definitely social justice italian kind of Northern Italian, by the way. Mm-hmm. He's, a, he's a fair little, uh, fair-skinned little Italian. Yeah, not like those Southerners, yeah. I'm about yeah. as Italian as, as Stella Etoile beer, unfortunately. Um, look, it, yeah, definitely the sense of social justice came from there. But I think, I don't know, I think, look, pol- politics changes a lot and parties come and go. But at that point in time, I think the government, I think the the, the Howard government at that very moment was suffering from pretty se- severe political hubris. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they needed, it was just crying out to come in and sort of, and punch back, basically. Yeah. And I'm not suggesting that... Costello that, couldn't do that? He, I, think, he, I don't he, think he had it in him, but unfortunately. But he, 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 his, his, his reputation is a bully, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean... I just oh, look. I, I don't, I, and I don't mean to suggest that the Howard government was all bad. I've been around long enough to know that yeah. they were a good government. They probably, by that stage, you've been around for that long, you just start making sloppy, inconsiderate decisions, and you start believing your own like bullshit a bit. Intervention. Yeah, yeah, and 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 other matters, and the way they reacted, all that black armband view of history yeah, stuff—it was yeah, all yeah. bullshit. It was just like, and work you've choices. been around too long. Work choices, you need to go, guys. Yeah, like, yeah. And, and that was. For me, and I'm not suggesting that the, the 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 mission of the Labor Party is not important to me, but I guess yeah. I didn't grow up an incredibly politicised person. And yeah. I think yeah. it was that was the crystallisation point. So, so when you got to the point where you were working on the 2007 campaign against this, you know, this Howard 
Howard Everest that you know had had never been conquered by anyone over the past ten to fifteen years. Was there a point where you were like, we could actually fucking do this? Um, um, we could not until the very very end. Like I think others around us saw it earlier, but yeah. we. I mean, I've worked on '04 and people when Latham. They don't, people forget when Latham first came in. Yeah. Like. He was like, you know, he was wrong-footing Howard left, right and centre and people were like, oh, we've got this one in the bag. He had, some, he had some momentum. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, he blew it yeah. up well before the election. But was that the handshake? Yeah. yeah. The handshake the pocket? Handshake was the handshake That was the, the cherry on the counter. <laughs> <laughs> For a little while there, he was looking pretty good, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and so... Yeah, well, he's he's doing all right now too. You know, he's he's he's, he's um he's he's managed to recover from that yeah, that handshake, I guess. He's um. You could maybe yeah. you should give him a column in the uh, in yeah. the paper. Yeah, we might we might interview him. I remember yeah. I was sitting in the campaign headquarters when when the paper came out that day, and a very experienced press sec was sitting next to me. And he just we just we were there. It's five a.m. in the morning. Paper comes out with the photo on it, and he looks at me and he said, "If there was any doubt, we are absolutely fucked. That is not arranged." <laughs> <laughs> what was his thinking? Do you have any? Do you think he was coming in from that Westy? I'm gonna fuck this silver tail up. What was it? I don't no, we'll see how. Was it just no, he couldn't well, control himself? Yeah, he thought he saw a cab driver. <laughs> they had the dirt file open for him. Then they they went after him pretty hard. Yeah. And, like they go after you. And the thing about what you probably maybe people don't understand is politics, particularly being a leader or the, like the opposition leader or the prime minister, it's like a ginormous pressure cooker. And what it does is it takes all the elements of your character. And it, but he excludes them out of you, and it and it and it exaggerates them, the good yeah. stuff and the bad stuff. So like, people who loved Rudd and saw him on Sunrise and thought he was so friendly, and, and it was an exaggerated version of Rudd's good parts. Yeah, and it's the same thing with the stuff that came out of Latham, which was bad. It's like, it pushes, it pressures your character, mm. and it exaggerates every little fissure, good and bad, in your character, and so. Anyone, I always say, look, basically, neither lionise these people as much as some people do. Don't love them as much as the true lovers, but don't hate them as much as the true haters. Either. They're yeah. actually not that far What about What about you. Latham right now? What would you say? How, how would you say people should uh, could treat that um, legacy of the Labor Party who's currently sitting on Facebook right now calling <laughs> well, look, people... I mean, I know I'm... <laughs> Snowflakes. <laughs> it's not to my taste. Like, But, you know, it's a free country. Good on him. Get out there. He's got to make a living. And so yeah. it's not to my taste. But, but uh, look, you know, I, I, don't, I just don't think politics is helped at all by just hating yeah. people on any chart. Like, he's just a guy... He's trying to make a living. He's saying stuff that I don't agree in, but I don't care. Like, good yeah. on him. If I saw him in the street, I'd say, g'day, Mark. How are you? You, you don't well, think um, there's people that are scared of him right now? People that are made, being made to feel like they are at risk because of him? I don't know. Uh, I, look, I'm not suggesting nothing has consequences. Yeah. Um, and and I, I just, I just, I'm not sure if it, he's at the point where I'd be like, you know, it's... It's more important probably just to not bother engaging than yep. it is important to engage and slap him down and promote some kind of aggressive yep. like reply. It's just not worth that. Good on you. Do what you want to do. Um, not my style. Yeah, right. All right. How about we talk life after the machine? When, when politics ends for people, which it often has for ex-prime ministers, ex-staffers, um, even journalists who've ended up working down there uh, from time to time but are you able to keep the values that you took down there can you take them into business like uh, say for example if you went down there and worked for the Labor Party could you work for a stockbroker 
you know, in the end, politics is a very... It's, you know, Keating has this great line where he says every political career ends up either being carried out in a box. The only question is, are you Paul Bearers crying or not? And it's yeah. so true. Like, <laughs> everyone just gets absolutely smashed, barreled, and the closer you get to the top, the worse the exit. Well, Even if Barnaby Joyce loses his job next week, yeah. I'd take a very serious bet that we have only seen Barnaby Mark 1. There will be yeah. a Barnaby Mark 2, and I wouldn't be surprised if there's yeah. a Barnaby Mark 3. He could be head of his... Um Head of his local branch of H and R Block in uh, Glen yeah. Innes, couldn't he? I think he's I more likely to be the next Corey Bernardi than he is. Yeah, right yeah, yeah, party. <laughs> if you were a uh, a Scott Ludlam, yeah. you know, where you're just you know you're a mid ranking green. Yeah, dude. a lot of them go. So look, it's funny. It's uh, I mean, a lot of them don't don't do a lot really like a lot of them it's really hard for them and I think yeah. it's because like except for Michael Baird the former Premier of New South Wales Campbell Newman former Premier of Queensland they all seem to find a bit of work <laughs> well they no, both I'm had not, Jesus help them find no, them a job I'm not health. breaking out the banjo for them I'm just like it's sort of sad you see these but you know you see these and a boy now the guys bankers association and you just go what are you doing and they're just wandering and, um, around drinking coffee doing nothing basically but no Look, there's jobs to be done, and you see yeah. Peter Beattie's now the kind of on the NRL commission. Yeah. He like, was. He was the Premier during Wayne's, during. Wayne's Broncos, so yeah. he knows. <laughs> All right. Back when there was only one team. Yeah. There was one team in Queensland, and they were... It was like origin. It was yeah. just like Broncos. Well, All... Um, it was horrendous. Yeah, it was horrendous to watch. I'm a Tigers fan. There's nothing worse. That's a bunch you've of had, pumped a... up car thief Queensland footy players going around kicking everyone's ass. I every guess week. like horrendous. Your rugby league That's kind of um, uh, uh, allegiances have probably ex- you've experienced similar things with rugby league, with the Catholic <laughs> Church and the Labor Party in the last ten years. Have you seen uh, all mate, these I institutions are falling around. I only it. ever had I had three three I had two great institutions in my life basically until the age of thirty seven was the the Catholic Church and the Labor Party and both of them basically gone through the greatest existential crisis mm. ever. So if you're wondering why I'm wandering around, <laughs> and, and like Balmain a complete Tigers, idiot. Let's not forget Balmain, mate. mate. No one even. Balmain Tigers didn't have an existential crisis. They just, you know, they're trying they're to. The, uh, they're, they're, they're having they're having more of just a little minor crisis of self confidence. Um, well, we're going to actually finish on that note. I reckon we'll finish yeah. with one more question. Um, as um, someone who knows the ropes, yep. when are you going to move to somewhere really shit like Benelong? <laughs> and uh, it's not shit in Benelong. No, well, That's it's nice. like the only reason I know about Benelong is because of that American Sydney American. And that little dash they had for the by-election down there, which seems like a you know neck and neck seat. When is this uh, light-skinned Italian uh, platform uh, lobbyist magnate going to make a run? I dare uh, say when Albo makes a cunt of himself, he can, <laughs> he can move into Grainler. I reckon. Nah, look, it's not on my. That's, not on my right. That's now. my hot I hate tip. to disappoint you. Or I hate to disappoint you, but look, my view. You could is, move north. You could move like north of the harbour, and you could try and hop into hockey seat. Mate, I'm a Balmain boy. I can't. I'm not going north. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Look, if I woke up one day and I had five things that were crystal clear in my mind, I wanted to do, and the only way to get them done was to be in parliament. That's the day I'd start running. But I don't have that list, and that's why I'm not running. Right on. Right on. Well, you can make a lot more money in the private sector anyway. So yeah. thanks for joining us. Um, Always a pleasure, Mr. Harris. And thanks for coming down, Lock. Thanks, mate. And that was Lachlan Harris, everyone. I hope you got a kick out of that. Um, 
So yeah, we'll uh, we'll hope we'll hopefully see you out on the road. Uh, until next week, my name is Earl Parker, and never talk to the cops without legal counsel present. And I'm Clancy Overall. We hope to see you all on the road. Uh, the Batuta Advocate Road Show. It's been getting some wild reviews. Matt Matt Scott was there uh, at the show in Townsville uh, last night, and he said um, he said it's one of the. Uh, most interesting and uh, important uh, stage productions um, of recent memory. Anyway, until next time, uh, you be kind to each other.